0: Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. So tell me, are you enjoying the readings without the background music, or do you prefer to have them with the background music? I'm not really getting too much feedback, so I thought I would ask the question uh, because I'm not getting too much feedback in the, in the poll I created. In any event, um, please comment, and if possible, make a small contribution to demonstrate your support for the podcast. I would also ask you to please share this content. If you know someone who might find the content here interesting at Carla reads the classics, I would so, so much appreciate that. And now without further delay, I give you pride and prejudice by Jane Austen. We're at chapter, uh, chapter 47. I have been thinking it over again, Elizabeth said her uncle as they drove from the town and really upon serious consideration i am much more inclined than i was to judge as your eldest sister does on the matter it appears to me so very unlikely that any young man should form such a design against a girl who is by no means unprotected or friendless and who was actually staying in his colonel's family That i am strongly inclined to hope the best could he expect that her friends would not step forward "'Could he expect to be noticed again by the regiment "'after such an affront to Colonel Forster? "'His temptation is not adequate to the risk.' "'Do you really think so?' "'Cried Elizabeth, brightening for a moment. "'Upon my word,' said Mrs. Gardiner, "'I begin to be of your uncle's opinion. "'It is really too great a violation of decency, "'honor and interest for him to be guilty of. "'I cannot think so very ill of Wickham.' "'Can you yourself, Lizzie, so wholly give him up "'as to believe him capable of it? "'Not perhaps of neglecting his own interests, "'but of every other neglect I can believe him capable, "'if indeed it should be so. "'But I dare not hope it. "'Why should they not go on to Scotland "'if that had not been the case?' "'In the first place,' replied Mr. Gardiner, "'There is no absolute proof "'that they are not gone to Scotland. "'Oh, but their removing from the chase "'into a hackney-coach is such a presumption, "'and besides, no traces of them "'were to be found on the Barnett Road. "'Well, then, supposing them to be in London, "'they may be there, though, "'for the purpose of concealment, "'for no more exceptional purpose.' It is not likely that money should be very abundant on either side, and it might strike them that they could be more economically, though less expeditiously, married in London than in Scotland. But why all this secrecy? Why any fear of detection? Why must their marriage be private? Oh, no, no, this is not likely. His most particular friend, you see by Jane's account, was persuaded of his never intending to marry her. Wickham will never marry a woman without some money. He cannot afford it. And what claims has Lydia? What attraction has she beyond youth, health, and good humor that could make him, for her sake, forego every chance of benefiting himself by marrying well? As to what restraint the apprehensions of disgrace in the corps might throw on a dishonorable elopement with her, I am not able to judge, for I know nothing of the effects that such a step might produce. But as to your other objection, I am afraid it will hardly hold good. Lydia has no brothers to step forward, and he might imagine— from my father's behavior, from his indolence and the little attention he has ever seemed to give of what was going forward in his family, that he would do as little and think as little about it as any father could do in such a matter. But can you think that Lydia is so lost to everything but love of him as to consent to live with him on any terms other than marriage? It does seem, and it is most shocking indeed, replied Elizabeth, with tears in her eyes, that a sister's sense of decency and virtue in such a point should admit of doubt. But really, I know not what to say. Perhaps I am not doing her justice, but, but she is very young. She has never been taught to think on serious subjects, and for the last half year, nay, for twelve months, she has been giving up to nothing but amusement and vanity.' She has been allowed to dispose of her time in the most idle and frivolous manner, and to adopt any opinions that came in her way. Since the Shire first went quartered in Meryton. nothing but love, flirtation, and officers have been in her head. She has been doing everything in her power by thinking and talking on the subject, to give greater, what shall I call it, susceptibility to her feelings, which are naturally lively enough and we all know that Wickham has every charm of person and address that can captivate a woman. But you see that Jane, said her aunt, does not think so very ill of Wickham as to believe him capable of the attempt. Of whom does Jane ever think ill, and who is there, whatever might be their former conduct, that she would think capable of such an attempt till it were proved against them? but Jane knows as well as I do what Wickham really is. We both know that he has been profligate in every sense of the word, that he has neither integrity nor honor, that he is as false and deceitful as he is insinuating. "'And do you really know all this?' cried Mrs. Gardiner, whose curiosity as to the mode of her intelligence was all alive. "'I do indeed!' "'replied Elizabeth, colouring. "'I told you the other day "'of his infamous behaviour to Mr. Darcy, "'and you yourself, when last at Longbourn, "'heard in what manner he spoke of the man "'who had behaved with such forbearance "'and liberality towards him. "'And there are other circumstances "'which I am not at liberty, "'which is not worth while to relate, "'but his lies about the whole Pemberley family "'are endless. "'From what he said of Miss Darcy, "'I was thoroughly prepared to see "'a proud, reserved, disagreeable girl.' Yet he knew the contrary to himself. He must know that she was an amiable and unpretending, that she was as amiable and unpretending as we have found her. But does Lydia know nothing of this? Can she be ignorant of what you and Jane seem so well to understand? oh yes that is the worst of all till i was in kent and saw so much of both mr darcy and his relation colonel fitzwilliam i was ignorant of the truth myself and when i returned home the shire was to leave meryton in a week or fortnight's time As that was the case, neither Jane, to whom I related the whole, nor I thought it necessary to make our knowledge public. For what what use could it apparently be to anyone that the good opinion, which all the neighborhood had of him, should then be overthrown? And even when it was settled that Lydia should go with Mrs. Forrester, the necessity of opening her eyes to his character never occurred to me. That she could be in any danger from the deception never entered my head. "'That such a consequence as this could ensue, you can easily believe, was far enough from my thoughts. "'When they were all removed to Brighton, therefore, you had no reason, I suppose, to believe them fond of each other? "'Not the slightest. I can remember no symptom of affection on either side, "'and had anything of the kind been perceptible, you must be aware that ours is not a family on which it could be thrown away.' "'When first he entered the Corps, she was ready enough to admire him, but so were we all. Every girl in or near Meryton was out of her senses about him for the first two months, but he never distinguished her by any particular attention, and consequently, after a moderate period of extravagant and wild admiration, her fancy for him gave way, and others of the regiment who treated her with more distinction again became her favorites.' It may be easily believed that however little of novelty could be added to their fears, hopes, and conjectures on this interesting subject, by its repeated discussion, no other could detain them from it long during the whole of the journey. From Elizabeth's thoughts, it was never absent, fixed there by the keenest of all anguish, self-reproach, she could find no interval of ease or forgetfulness." They travelled as expeditiously as possible and sleeping one night on the road reached Longbourn by dinner-time the next day. It was a comfort to Elizabeth to consider that Jane could not have been wearied by long expectations. The little gardeners, attracted by the sight of a chase, were standing on the steps of the house as they entered the paddock, and when the carriage drove up to the door, the joyful surprise that lighted up their faces and displayed itself over their whole bodies in a variety of capers and frisks was the first pleasing earnest of their welcome. Elizabeth jumped up, and after giving each of them a hearty kiss, hurried into the vestibule where Jane who came running down from her mother's apartment, immediately met her. Elizabeth, as affectionately embraced her, whilst tears filled both their eyes, lost not a moment in asking whether anything had been heard of the fugitives. Not yet, replied Jane, but now that my dear uncle is come, I hope everything will be well. Is father in town? Yes, he went on Tuesday, as I wrote you word. And you have heard from him often? We have heard only twice. He wrote me a few lines on Wednesday to say that he had arrived in safety and to give me his directions, which I particularly begged him to do. He merely added that he should not write again till he had something of importance to mention. As my mother, how is she? How are you all? My mother is tolerably well, I trust, though her spirits are greatly shaken. She is upstairs and will have great satisfaction in seeing you all. She does not yet leave her dressing room mary and kitty are thank heaven quite well but you how are you cried elizabeth you look pale how much you want to how much you must have gone through her sister however assured her of her being perfectly well and their conversation which had been passing while mr and mrs Gardiner were engaged with their children was now put an end to by the approach of the whole party Jane ran to her uncle and aunt and welcomed and thanked them both with alternate smiles and tears. When they were all in the drawing-room, the questions which Elizabeth had already asked were, of course, repeated by the others, and they soon found that Jane had no intelligence to give. The sanguine hope of good, however, which the benevolence of her heart suggested had not yet deserted her. She still expected that it would all end well, and that every morning would bring some letter either from Lydia or her father, to explain their proceedings and perhaps announce their marriage. Mrs. Bennet, to whose apartment they all repaired, after a few minutes' conversation together, received them exactly as might be expected, with tears and lamentations of regret, invectives against the villainous conduct of Wickham, and complaints of her own sufferings and ill-usage, blaming everybody but the person to whose ill-judging indulgence the errors of her daughter must principally be owing. If I had been able, said she, to carry my point in going to Brighton with all my family, this would not have ever happened. But poor dear Lydia had nobody to take care of her. Why did the foresters ever let her go out of their sight? I am sure there was some great neglect or other on their side, for she is not the kind of girl to do such a thing if she had been well looked after. I always thought they were very unfit to have charge of her, but I was overruled, as I always am. "'Poor dear child, and and now here's Mr. Bennet gone away, "'and I know he will fight Wickham wherever he meets him, "'and then he will be killed, and what is to become of us all? "'The Collinses will turn us out before he is cold in his grave, "'and if you are not kind to us, brother, "'I do not know what we shall do.' They all exclaimed against such terrific ideas, and Mr. Gardiner, after general assurances of his affection for her and her family, told her that he meant to be in London the very next day, and he would assist Mr. Bennett in every endeavor for recovering Lydia.' "'Do not give way to useless alarm,' added he. "'Though it is right to be prepared for the worst, "'there is no occasion to look on it as certain. "'It is not quite a week since they left Brighton. "'In a few days more, we may gain some news of them. "'Until we know that they are not married "'and and have no design of marrying, "'do not let us give the matter over as lost.' As soon as I get to town, I shall go to my brother and make him come home with me to Gracechurch Street, and then we may consult together as to what is to be done. Oh, my dear brother, replied Mrs. Bennet, that is exactly what I most wish for. And now, do when you get to town, find them out wherever they may be, and if they are not married already, make them marry. As for wedding clothes, do not let them wait for that, but tell Lydia she shall have as much money as she chooses to buy them after they are married, and above all, keep Mr. Bennet from fighting. Tell him what a dreadful state I am in, and I am frightened out of my wits, and have such tremblings, such flutterings all over me, such spasms in my side and pains in my head, and such beatings at heart that I can get no rest by night nor day and tell my dear Lydia not to give any directions about her clothes till she has seen me, for she does not know which are the best warehouses. Oh, brother, how kind you are! I know you will contrive it all. But Mr. Gardiner, though he assured her again of his earnest endeavors in the cause, could not avoid recommending moderation to her, as well in her hopes "'as her fear, and after talking with her in this manner till dinner was on the table, "'they all left her to vent all her feelings on the housekeeper "'who attended in the absence of her daughters.' Though her brother and sister were persuaded that there was no real occasion for such a seclusion from the family, they did not attempt to oppose it, for they knew that she had not prudence enough to hold her tongue before the servants while they waited at table, and judged it better that one only of the household, and the one whom they could most trust, should comprehend all her fears and solicitude on the subject." In the dining room, they were soon joined by Mary and Kitty, who had been too busily engaged in their separate apartments to make their appearance before. One came from her books and the other from her toilet. The faces of both, however, were tolerably calm, and no change change was visible in either, except that the loss of their favorite sister, or the anger which she had herself incurred in this business, had given more of a fretfulness than usual to the accents of Kitty. As for Mary, she was mistress enough of herself to whisper to Elizabeth with a countenance of grave reflection soon after they were seated at table, This is a most unfortunate affair and will probably be much talked of, but we must stem the tide of malice and pour into the wounded bosoms of each other the balm of sisterly consolation. Then, perceiving in Elizabeth no inclination of replying, she added, Unhappy as the event must be for Lydia, we may draw from it this useful lesson, that loss of virtue in a female is irretrievable, that one false step involves her in endless ruin, that her reputation is so less brittle than it is beautiful, and that she cannot be too much guarded in her behavior towards the undeserving of the other sex.' Elizabeth lifted up her eyes in amazement, but was too much oppressed to make any reply. Mary, however, continued to console herself with such kind of moral extractions from the evil before them. In the afternoon, the two elder Miss Bennets were able to be all for were able to be for half an hour by themselves, and Elizabeth instantly availed herself of the opportunity of making any inquiries which Jane was equally eager to satisfy. After joining in general lamentations over the dreadful sequel of this event, which Elizabeth considered as all but certain, Miss Bennet could not assert to be wholly impossible, the former continued the subject by saying, "'But tell me all and everything about in which I have not already heard. Give me further particulars. What did Colonel Forrester say? Had they no apprehension of anything before the elopement took place? They must have seen them together for ever." Colonel Forster did own that he had often suspected some partiality, especially on Lydia's side, but nothing to give him any alarm. I am so grieved for him. His behavior was attentive and kind to the utmost. He was coming to us in order to assure us of his concern before he had any idea of their not being gone to Scotland. When that apprehension first got abroad, it hastened his journey. And it was Denny, and was Denny convinced that Wickham would not marry? Did he know of their intending to go off? Had Colonel Forrester seen Denny himself? Yes, but when questioned by him, Denny denied knowing anything of their plans and would not give his real opinion about it. He did not repeat his persuasion of their not marrying, and from that, I am inclined to hope he might have been misunderstood before. Until Colonel Forster came himself, not one of you entertained a doubt I suppose, of their being really married? How was it possible that such an idea should enter our brains? I felt a little uneasy, a little fearful of my sister's happiness with him in marriage, because I knew that his conduct had not been always quite right. My father and mother knew nothing of that. They only felt how imprudent a match it must be. Kitty then owned, with a very natural triumph on knowing more than the rest of us, that in Lydia's last letter she had prepared her for such a step. She had known, it seems, of their being in love with each each other many weeks, but not before they went to Brighton? No, I believe not. And did Colonel Forrester appear to think well of Wickham himself? Does he know his real character? I must confess that he did not speak so well of Wickham as he formerly did. He believed him to be imprudent and extravagant, and since this sad affair has taken place, it is said that he left Meryton greatly in debt but I hope this may be false. Oh, Jane, had we been less secret, had we told what we knew of him, this could not have happened. Perhaps it would have been better, replied her sister, but to expose the former faults of any person without knowing what their present feelings were seemed unjustifiable. We acted with best intentions. Could Colonel Forster repeat the particulars of Lydia's note to his wife? He brought it with him for us to see. "'Jane then took it from her pocket book "'and gave it to Elizabeth. "'These were the contents. "'My dear Harriet, "'you will laugh when you know where I am gone, "'and I cannot help laughing myself "'at your surprise tomorrow morning "'as soon as I am missed. "'I am going to Gretna Green, "'and if you cannot guess with who, "'I shall think you a simpleton, "'for there is but one man in the world I love, "'and he is an angel. "'I should never be happy without him, "'so think it no harm to be off.' you need not send them word at Longbourn of my going if you do not like it for it will make the surprise the greater when i write to them and sign my name lydia wickham what a good joke it will be i can hardly write for laughing pray make my excuses to pratt for not keeping my engagement and dancing with him tonight tell him i hope he will excuse me when he knows all and tell him i will dance with him at the next ball we meet with great pleasure I shall send for my clothes when I get to Longbourn, but I wish you tell- but I wish you would tell Sally to mend a great slit in my worked muslin gown before they are packed up. Good-bye, give my love to Colonel Forster. I hope you will drink to our good journey. Your affectionate friend, Lydia Bennett, oh thoughtless, thoughtless Lydia cried Elizabeth when she had finished it. What a letter is this to be written at such a moment. But at least it shows she was serious on the subject of their journey. Whatever he might afterwards persuade her to, it was not on her side a scheme of infamy. My poor father, how he must have felt it. I never saw anyone so shocked. I could not speak a word for full ten minutes. My mother was taken ill immediately, and the whole house in such confusion. Oh, Jane, cried Elizabeth. Was there a servant belonging to it who did not know the whole story before the end of the day? I do not know. I hope there was. But to be guarded at such a time is very difficult. My mother was in hysterics, and though I endeavored to give her every assistance in my power, I am afraid I I did not do as much good as I might have done. But the horror of what might possibly happen almost took me from my faculties. Your attendance upon her has been too much for you. You do not look well. Oh, that I had been with you— you have had every care and anxiety upon yourself alone. Mary and Kitty have been very kind and would have shared in every fatigue, I am sure, but I did not think it right for either of them. Kitty is slight and delicate, and Mary studies so much that her hours of repose should not be broken in on. My Aunt Phillips came to Longbourn on Tuesday after my father went away and was so good as to stay till Thursday with me. "'She was of great use and comfort to us all, "'and Lady Lucas has been very kind. "'She walked here on Wednesday morning to condole with us "'and offered her services or any of her daughters "'if they should be of use to us. "'She had better have stayed at home,' cried Elizabeth, "'Perhaps she meant well, but under such a misfortune as this, "'one cannot see too little of one's neighbors. "'Assistance is impossible, condolence insufferable. "'Let them them triumph over us at a distance and be satisfied.' "'She then proceeded to inquire into the measures "'which her father had intended to pursue "'while in town for the recovery of his daughter. "'He meant, I believe,' replied Jane, "'to go to Epsom, the place where they last changed horses.' to see the postilions and try if anything could be made out of them. His principal object must be to discover the number of the hackney coach which took, which took them from Clapham. It had come with the fare from London, and as he thought that the circumstances of a gentleman and lady's removing from one carriage and to another might be remarked, he meant to make inquiries at clapham if he could anyhow discover at what house the coachman had before set down his fare he determined to make inquiries there and hoped it might be and hoped it might not be impossible to find out the stand and number of the coach i do not know of any other designs that he had formed but he was in such a hurry to be gone and his spirits so greatly discomposed that i had difficulty in finding out even so much as this Chapter 48. The whole party were in hopes of a letter from Mr. Bennett the next morning, but the post came in without bringing a single line from him. His family knew him to be, on all common occasions, a most negligent and dilatory correspondent, but at such a time they had hoped for exertion. They were forced to conclude that he had no pleasing intelligence to send, but even of that they would have been glad to be certain. Mr. Gardiner had waited only for the letters before he set off. When he was gone, they were certain of at least receiving a constant information of what was going on, and their uncle promised at parting to prevail on Mr. Bennet to return to Longbourn as soon as he could, to the great consolation of his sister— "'who considered it as the only security for her husband's not being killed in a duel. "'Mrs. Gardiner and the children were to remain in Herefordshire a few days longer, "'as the former thought her presence might be serviceable to her nieces, "'she shared in their attendance on Mrs. Bennet, "'and was a great comfort to them in their hours of freedom.' Their other aunt also visited them visited them frequently, and always, as she said, with the design of cheering and hardening them up, though, as she never came without reporting some fresh instance of Wickham's extravagance or irregularity, she seldom went away without leaving them more dispirited than she found them. All Meryton seemed, striving to blacken the man who, but three months before— had been almost an angel of light. He was declared to be in debt to every tradesman in the place, and his intrigues, all honored with the title of seduction, had been extended into every tradesman's family.' Everybody declared that he was the wickedest young man in the world, and everybody began to find out that they had always distrusted the appearance of his goodness. Elizabeth, though, she had not credit above half of what, she, of what was said, believed enough to make her former assurance of her sister's ruin more certain, and even Jane, who believed still less of it, became almost hopeless, more especially as the time now came when... If they had gone to Scotland, which she had never before entirely despaired of, they must in all probability have gained some news of them.' Mr. Gardner left Longbourn on Sunday. On Tuesday, his wife received a letter from him. It told them that on his arrival he had immediately found his brother and persuaded him to come to Gracechurch Street. That Mr. Bennet had been to Epsom and Clapham before his arrival, but without gaining any satisfactory information, and that he was now determined to inquire at all the principal hotels in town, as Mr. Bennet thought it possible they might have gone to one of them, on their first coming to London before they procured lodgings mr gardner himself did not expect any success from the measure but as his brother was eager in it he meant to assist him in pursuing it he added that mr bennett seemed wholly disinclined at present to leave london and promised to write again very soon there was also a postscript to this effect I have written to Colonel Forrester to desire him to find out, if possible, from some of the young man's intimates in the regiment, whether Wickham has any relations or connections who would likely know in what part of town he has now concealed himself. If there were any one that one could apply to with a probability of gaining such a clue as that, it might be of essential consequence. At present, we have nothing to guide us. Colonel Forster will, I dare say, do everything in his power to satisfy us on this head. But on second thoughts, perhaps Lizzie could tell us what relations he has now living better than any other person. Elizabeth was at no loss to understand from whence this deference to her authority proceeded. But it was not in her power to give any information of so satisfactory a nature as the compliment deserved. she had never heard of his having had any relations except a father and mother, both of whom had been dead many years. It was possible, however, that some of his companions in the Shire might be able to give more information, and though she was not very sanguine in expecting it, the application was something to look forward to. Every day at Longbourn was now a day of anxiety, but the most anxious part of each day was when the post was expected. The arrival of letters was the grand object of every morning's impatience. Through letters, whatever of good or bad was to be told would be communicated, and every succeeding day was expected to bring some news of importance. But before they heard again from Mr. Gardner, A letter arrived for their father from a different quarter from Mr. Collins, which, as Jane had received directions to open all that came for him in his absence, she accordingly read, and Elizabeth, who knew what curiosities his letters always were, looked over her and read it likewise. It was as follows. "'My dear sir,' I feel myself called upon by our relationship and my situation in life to condole you on the grievance on the grievous affliction that you are now suffering under of which we were yesterday informed by a letter from Herefordshire. Be assured, my dear sir, that Mrs. Collins and myself sincerely sympathize with you and all your respectable family in your present distress, which must be of the bitterest kind because proceeding from a cause which no time can remove. No argument shall be wanting on my part that can alleviate so severe a misfortune or that may comfort you under a circumstance that must be of all others the most afflicting to a parent's mind. The death of your daughter would have been a blessing in comparison of this, and it is the more to be lamented because there is no reason to suppose, as my dear Charlotte informs me, that this licentiousness of behavior in your daughter has proceeded from a faulty degree of indulgence though at the same time for the consolation of yourself and mrs Bennet, i am inclined to think that her own disposition must be naturally bad or she could not be guilty of such an enormity at so early an age Howsoever that may be, you are grievously to be pitied, in which opinion I am not only joined by Mrs. Collins, but likewise by Lady Catherine and her daughter, to whom I have related the affair. They agree with me in apprehending that this false step in one daughter will be injurious to the fortunes of all the others, for who, as Lady Catherine herself condescendingly says, will connect them— Who? As Lady Catherine herself condescendingly says, will connect themselves with such a family. And this consideration leads me, moreover, to reflect with augmented satisfaction on a certain event of last November, for had it been otherwise, I might have been involved in all your sorrow and disgrace. Let me then advise you, dear sir, to console yourself as much as possible, to throw off your unworthy child from your affection forever, and leave her to reap the fruits of her own heinous offence. I am dear sir, etc., etc. Mr. Gardner did not write again till he had received an answer from Colonel Forrester, and then he had nothing of a pleasant nature to send. It was not known that Wickham had a single relationship with whom he kept up any connection, and it was certain that he had no near one living. His His former acquaintances had been numerous, but since he had been in the militia, It did not appear that he was on terms of particular friendship with any of them. There was no one, therefore, who could be pointed out as likely to give any news of him. And in the wretched state of his own finances, there was a very powerful motive for secrecy. In addition to his fear of discovery by Lydia's relations, for it had just transpired that he had left gaming debts behind him to a very considerable amount. Colonel Forrester believed that more than a thousand pounds would be necessary to clear his expenses at Brighton. He owed a good deal in town, but his debts of honor were still more formidable. Mr. Gardner did not attempt to conceal these particulars from the Longbourn family. Jane heard them with horror. A gamester! she cried. This is wholly unexpected. I had not an idea of it. Mr. Gardiner added in his letter that they might expect to see their father at home on the following day, which was Saturday. Rendered spiritless by the ill success of all their endeavours, he had yielded to his brother in law's entreaty that he would return to his family and leave it to him to do whatever occasion might suggest to be advisable for continuing their pursuit when mrs Bennet was told of this she did not express so much satisfaction as her children expected considering what her anxiety for life had been before what is he coming home and without poor lydia she cried sure he will not leave london before he has found them who is to fight wickham and make him marry her if he comes away as Mrs. Gardiner began to wish to be home, it was settled that she and the children should go to London at the same time that Mr. Bennet came from it. The coach, therefore, took them the first stage of their journey and brought its master back to Longbourn. Mrs. Gardner went away, and all the perplexity about Elizabeth and her Derbyshire friend that had attended her from that part of the world. His name had never been voluntarily mentioned before them by her niece, and the kind of half-expectation which Mrs. Gardner had formed of their being followed by a letter from him had ended in nothing. Elizabeth had received none since her return that could come from Pemberley. The present unhappy state of the family rendered any excuse for the lowness of her spirits unnecessary. Nothing, therefore, could be fairly conjectured from that, though Elizabeth, who was by this time tolerably well acquainted with her own feelings, was perfectly aware that she had known nothing of Darcy, she could have borne the dread of Lydia's infamy somewhat better. It would have spared her, she thought, one sleepless night out of two. When Mr. Bennett arrived, he had all the appearance of his usual philosophic composure. He said as little as he had ever been in the habit of saying, made no mention of the business that had taken him away, and it was some time before his daughters had courage to speak of it. It was not till the afternoon, when he had joined them at tea, that Elizabeth ventured it, that Elizabeth ventured to introduce the subject, and then, on her briefly expressing her sorrow for what he must have endured, he replied, "'Say nothing of that. "'Who should suffer but myself? "'It has been my own doing, and I ought to feel it. "'You must not be too severe upon yourself,' replied replied Elizabeth. "'You may well warn me against such an evil. "'Human nature is so prone to fall into it. "'No, Lizzie, let me once in my life "'feel how much I have been to blame. "'I am not afraid of being overpowered by the impression. "'It will pass away soon enough.' Do you suppose them to be in London? Yes, where else can they be so well concealed? And Lydia used to want to go to London, added Kitty. She is happy then, said her father dryly, and her residence there will probably be of some duration. Then, after a short silence, he continued, Lizzie, I bear you no ill will for being justified in your advice to me last May, which, considering the event, shows some greatness of mind." they were interrupted by miss bennet who came to fetch her mother's tea this is a par- this is a parade he cried which does one good it gives such an elegance to misfortune another day i will do the same i will sit in my library in my nightcap and powdering gown and give as much trouble as i can or perhaps i may defer it till kitty runs away i am not going to run away papa said kitty fretfully if i should ever go to brighton i would behave better than lydia You go to Brighton. I would not trust you so near it as Eastbourne for 50 pounds. No, Kitty, I have at least learned to be cautious and you will feel the effects of it. No officer is ever to enter into my house again, nor even to pass through the village. Balls will be absolutely prohibited unless you stand up with one of your sisters and you are never to stir out of doors till you can prove that you can, that you have spent 10 minutes of every day in a rational manner. Kitty, who took all these threats in a serious light, began to cry. Well, well, said he, do not make yourself unhappy. If you are a good girl for the next ten years, I will take you to a review at the end of them. Chapter 49 Two days after Mr. Bennett's return, as Jane and Elizabeth were walking together in the shrubbery behind the house, they saw the housekeeper coming towards them, and concluding that she came to call them to their mother, went forward to meet her. But instead of the expected summons when they approached her, she said to Miss Bennett, I beg your pardon, madam, for interrupting you, but I was in hopes you might have got some good news from town, so I took the liberty of coming to ask. What do you mean, Hill? We have heard nothing from town. Dear madam, cried Mrs. Hill, in great astonishment, don't you know there is an express come for master from Mr. Gardiner? He has been here this half hour, and master has had a letter. Away ran the girls, too eager to get in to have time for speech. They ran through the vestibule into the breakfast room, from thence to the library. Their father was in neither, and they were on the point of seeking him upstairs with their mother when they were met by the butler, who said, If you are looking for my master, ma'am, he is walking towards the little cops. Upon this information, they instantly passed through the hall once more and ran across the lawn after their father, who was deliberately pursuing his way towards a small wood on one side of the paddock. Jane, who was not so light nor so much in the habit of running as Elizabeth, soon lagged behind while her sister, panting for breath, came up with him "'and eagerly cried out, "'Oh, Papa, what news, what news? "'Have you heard from my uncle?' "'Yes, I have had a letter from him by express. "'Well, well, and what news does it bring, good or bad?' "'What is there of good to be expected?' said he, "'taking a letter from his pocket. "'But perhaps you would like to read it.' "'Elizabeth then patiently caught it from his hand. "'Jane now came up. "'Read it aloud,' said their father, "'for I hardly know myself what it's about.' "'Grace Church Street, Monday, August 2nd. "'My dear brother, "'at last I am able to send you some tidings of my niece, "'and as such, upon the whole, "'I hope it will give you satisfaction. "'Soon after you left me on Saturday, "'I was fortunate enough to find out "'in what part of London they were. "'The particulars I reserve till we meet. "'It is enough to know that they are discovered. "'I have seen them both. "'Then it is as I always hoped,' cried jane they are married elizabeth read on i have seen them both they are not married nor can i find there was any intention of being so but if you are willing to perform the engagements which i have ventured to make on your side i hope it will not be long before they are All that is required of you is to assure to your daughter, by settlement, her equal share of the 5,000 pounds secured among your children after the decease of yourself and my sister, and, moreover, to enter into an engagement of, allowing her, during your life, 100 pounds per annum. These are conditions which, considering everything, I had no hesitation in complying with as far as I thought myself privileged for you. I shall send this by express that no time may be lost in bringing me your answer. You will easily comprehend from these particulars that Mr. Wickham's circumstances are not so hopeless as they are generally believed to be. The world has been deceived in that respect, and I am happy to say there will be some little money, even when all his debts are discharged, to settle on my niece. In addition to her own fortune, if "'As I conclude will be the case, "'you will send me full powers to act in your name "'throughout the whole of this business. "'I will immediately give directions to Haggerston "'for preparing a proper settlement. "'There will not be the smallest occasion "'for you coming to town again.' Therefore, stay quiet at Longbourn and depend on my diligence and care. Send back your answer as fast as you can and be careful to write explicitly. We have judged it best that my niece should be married from this house, of which I hope you will approve. She comes to us today. I shall write again as soon as anything more is determined on. Yours, etc. Edward Gardiner. Is it possible? cried Elizabeth when she had finished. Can it be possible that he will marry her? "'Wiggum is not so undeserving, then, as we thought him,' said her sister. "'My dear father, I congratulate you.' "'And have you answered the letter?' cried Elizabeth. "'No, but it must be done soon.' Most earnestly did she then entreaty him to lose no more time before he wrote. "'Oh, my dear father,' she cried, "'come back and write immediately. Consider how important every moment is in such a case.' "'Let me write it for you,' said Jane, "'if you dislike the trouble yourself.' I dislike it very much, he replied, but it must be done. And so saying, he turned back with them and walked towards the house. And may I ask, said Elizabeth, but the terms, I suppose, must be complied with. Complied with? I am only ashamed of his asking so little. And they must marry. Yet he is such a man. Yes, yes, they must marry. There is nothing else to be done. But there are two things which I want very much to know. One is how much money your uncle has laid down to bring it about. And the other, how am I to ever pay him? Money, my uncle cried Jane. What do you mean, sir? I mean that no man in his senses would marry Lydia on so slight a temptation as 100 a year during my life and 50 after I am gone. That is very true, said Elizabeth, though it had not occurred to me before. His debts to be discharged and something still to remain. Oh, it must be my uncle's doing. Generous good man, I am afraid he has distressed himself. A small sum could not do all this. No, said his father. Wickham's a fool if he takes her with a, with a farthing less than ten thousand pounds. I should be sorry to think so ill of him in the in the very beginning of our relationship. Ten thousand pounds, heaven forbid! How is half such a sum to be repaid? Mr. Bennet made no answer, and each of them, deep in thought, continued silent till they reached the house. Their father then went on to the library to write, and the girls walked into the breakfast room. And they are really to be married! cried Elizabeth, as soon as they were by themselves. How strange this is! And for this we are so thankful. "'that they should marry, small as is their chance of happiness, "'and wretched as his character is, we are forced to rejoice. "'Oh, Lydia!' "'I comfort myself with thinking,' replied Jane, "'that he certainly would not marry Lydia if he had not a real regard for her. "'Though our kind uncle has done something towards clearing him, "'I cannot believe that ten thousand pounds or anything like it has been advanced. "'He has children of his own and may have more.' "'How could he spare half ten thousand pounds? "'If he were ever able to learn "'what Wickham's debts have been,' said Elizabeth, "'and how much is settled on his side on our sister, "'we shall exactly know what Mr. Gardiner has done for them, "'because Wickham has not sixpence of his own. "'The kindness of my uncle and aunt can never be requited.' They're taking her home and affording her their personal protection and countenance is such a sacrifice to her advantage as years of gratitude cannot enough acknowledge. By this time, she is actually with them. If such goodness does not make her miserable now, she will never deserve to be happy. What a meeting for her when she first sees my aunt we must endeavor to forget all that has passed on either side, said Jane. I hope and trust they will yet be happy. His consenting to marry her is a proof. I will believe that he has come to a right way of thinking. Their mutual affection will steady them, and I flatter myself that they will settle so quietly and live in so rational a manner as may in time make their past imprudence forgotten. Their conduct has been such, replied Elizabeth, as neither you nor I nor anybody can ever forget." it is useless to talk of it. It now occurred to the girls that their mother was in all likelihood perfectly ignorant of what had happened. They went to the library, therefore, and asked their father whether he would not wish them to make it known to her. He was writing, and without raising his head, coolly replied, "'Just as you please. May we take my uncle's letter to read to her? Take whatever you like and get away.' Elizabeth took the letter from his writing table, and they went upstairs together. Mary and Kitty were both with Mrs. Bennet. One communication would therefore do for all. After a slight preparation for good news, the letter was read aloud. Mrs. Bennet could hardly contain herself. As soon as Jane had read Mr. Gardiner's hope of Lydia's being married soon, her joy burst forth, and every following sentence added to its exuberance. She was now in an irritation as violent from delight as she had ever been fidgety from alarm and vexation. To know that her daughter would be married was enough. She was disturbed by no fear for her felicity, nor humbled by any remembrance of her misconduct. "'My dear, dear Lydia!' she cried. "'This is delightful indeed. She will be married. I shall see her again. She will be married at sixteen. My good, kind brother! I knew how it would be. I knew he would manage everything.' how I long to see her and hear and see dear Wickham too. But the clothes, the wedding clothes, I will write to my sister Gardiner about them directly. Lizzie, my dear, run down to your father and ask him how much he will give her. Stay, stay. I, I will go myself. Ring the bell, Kitty, for Hill. I will put on my things in a moment. My dear, dear Lydia, how merry we shall be together when we meet her eldest daughter endeavored to give some relief to the violence of these transports by leading her thoughts to the obligations which Mr. Gardiner's behavior laid them all under. For we, we must attribute this happy conclusion, she added, in a great measure to his kindness, we are persuaded that he has pledged himself to assist Mr. Wickham with money. "'Well,' cried her mother, it is all very right. Who should do it but her own uncle if he had not had a family of his own, and I my children? I and my children must have had all his money, you know, and it is the first time we have ever had anything from him except a few presents. Well, I am so happy in a short time I shall have a daughter married. mrs Wickham, how well it sounds! And she was only sixteen last June, my dear Jane. I am in such a flutter. That "'I am sure I can't write, so I will dictate, and you write for me. "'We will settle with your father about the money afterwards, "'but the thing should be ordered immediately.' "'She was then proceeding to all the particulars of Calico, Muslin, and Cambric, "'and would shortly have dictated some very plentiful orders, had not Jane, "'though with some difficulty persuaded her to wait till her father was at, le- at leisure to be consulted.' One day's delay, she observed, would be of small importance, and her mother was too happy to be quite so obstinate as usual. Other schemes, too, came into her head. I will go to Meryton, she said, as soon as I am dressed and tell the good, good news to my sister Phillips, and as I come back, I can call on Lady Lucas and Mrs. Long.' Kitty, run down the order of run down and order the carriage. An airing would do me a great deal of good, I am sure. Girls, can I do anything for you in Merriton? Oh, here comes Hill, my dear Hill. Have you heard the good news? Miss Lydia is going to be married, and you shall have a bowl of punch to make merry at her wedding. Mrs. Hill began instantly to express her joy. Elizabeth received her congratulations amongst the rest, and then, sick of this folly, took refuge in her own room that she might think with freedom. Poor Lydia's situation must at best be bad enough, but that it was no worse, she had need to be thankful. She felt it so, and though, in looking forward, neither rational happiness nor worldly prosperity could be justly expected for her sister, and looking back to what they had feared only two hours ago, and she felt all the advantages of what they had gained. Chapter 50 Mr. Bennet had very often wished before this period of his life that, instead of spending his whole income, he had laid by an annual sum for the better provision of his children and of his wife if she survived him. He now wished it more than ever. He had done his duty in that respect, lydia had lydia need not have been indebted to her uncle for whatever of honor or credit could now be purchased for her the satisfaction of prevailing on one of the most worthless young men in great britain to be her husband might then have rested in its proper place "'He was seriously concerned that a cause of so little advantage to any one should be forwarded at the sole expense of his brother-in-law, "'and he was determined, if possible, to find out the extent of his assistance and to discharge the obligation as soon as he could. "'When first Mr. Bennet had married, economy was held to be perfectly useless, for, of course, they were to have a son.' "'The son was to join in cutting off the entail "'as soon as he should be of age, "'and the widow and younger children "'would by that means be provided for. Five daughters successively entered the world, "'but yet the son was to come, "'and Mrs. Bennet, for many years after Lydia's birth, "'had been certain that he would. "'This event had at last been despaired of, "'but it was then too late to be saving.' Mrs. Bennet had no turn for economy, and her husband's love of independence had alone prevented their exceeding their income. Five thousand pounds was settled by marriage articles on Mrs. Bennet and the children, but in what proportions it should be divided amongst the latter depended on the will of the parents. That was one point with regard to Lydia, at least, which was now to be settled and mr bennett could have no hesitation in acceding to the proposal before him in terms of grateful acknowledgment for the kindness of his brother though expressed most concisely he then delivered on paper his first perfect approbation of all that was done and his willingness to fulfill the engagements that had been made for him he had never before supposed that could Wickham be prevailed on to marry his daughter it would be done with so little inconvenience to him to himself as by the present arrangement he would scarcely be ten pounds a year the loser by the hundred that was to be paid them for what with her Board and pocket allowance, and the continual presents and money which passed to her through her mother's hands, Lydia's expenses had been very little within that sum. That it would be done with such trifling exertion on his side too was another very welcome surprise for his wish at present was to have as little trouble in the business as possible. When the first transports of rage which had produced this activity in seeking her were over, he naturally returned to all his former indolence. His letter was soon dispatched for, though dilatory in undertaking business, he was quick in its execution. He begged to know further particulars of what he was indebted to his brother, "'but was too angry with Lydia to send any messages to her. "'The good news spread quickly through the house "'and with proportionate speed through the neighborhood. "'It was born in the latter with decent philosophy.' To be sure, it would have been more for the advantage of conversation had Miss Lydia Bennet come upon the town, or, as the happiest alternative, been secluded from the world in some distant farmhouse. But there was much to be talked of in marrying her, and the good-natured wishes for her well-doing which had proceeded before from all of the spiteful ladies in Meryton lost, but a little of their spirit in this change of circumstances, because with such a husband her misery was considered certain it was a fortnight since mrs bennett had been downstairs but on this happy day she again took her seat at the head of her table and in spirits oppressively high no sentiment of shame gave a damp to her triumph the marriage of a daughter which had been the first object of her wishes since jane was sixteen was now on the point of accomplishment and her thoughts and her words ran wholly on these attendants of elegant nuptials fine muslins new carriages and servants She was busily searching through the neighborhood for a proper a proper situation for her daughter, and without knowing or considering what their income might be, rejected many as deficient in size and importance. Hyde Park might do, said she, if the Goldings could quit it, or the great house at Stoke, if the drawing room were larger. But Ashworth, it's too far off. Ashworth is too far off. I could not bear to have her ten miles from me and as for Pulvis Lodge, the attics are dreadful. Her husband allowed her to talk on without interruption while the servants remained, but when they had withdrawn, he said to her, Miss Bennet, before you take any or all of these houses for your son and daughter, let us come to a right understanding, and to one house in this neighborhood they shall never have admittance. I will not encourage the impudence of either by receiving them at Longbourn. A long dispute followed this declaration but Mr. Bennett was firm it soon led to another and Mrs. Bennett found with amazement and horror that her husband would not advance a guinea to buy clothes for his daughter he protested that she should receive from him no mark of affection whatever on the occasion Mrs. Bennett could hardly comprehend it that his anger could be carried to such a point of, incon- of inconceivable resentment as to refuse his daughter a privilege without which her marriage would scarcely seem valid, exceeded all she could believe possible. She was more alive to the disgrace which her want of new clothes must reflect on her daughter's nuptials than to any sense of shame at her eloping and living with Wickham a fortnight before they took place. Elizabeth was now most heartily sorry that she had, from the distress of the moment, been led to make Mr. Darcy "'acquainted with their fears for her sister, "'for since her marriage would so shortly "'give the proper termination to the elopement, "'they might hope to conceal its unfavorable beginning "'from all those who were not immediately on the spot. "'She had no fear of its spreading farther through his means. "'There were few people on whose secrecy "'she would have been more confidently depended, "'but at the same time, "'there was no one whose knowledge of a sister's frailty "'would have mortified her so much.' not, however, from any fear of disadvantage from it individually to herself, for at any rate there seemed a gulf impassable between them. Had Lydia's marriage been concluded on the most honorable terms, it was not to be supposed that Mr. Darcy would connect himself with a family where, to every other objection, would now be added an alliance and relationship of the nearest kind with a man whom he so justly scorned from such a connection she could not wonder that he would shrink the wish of procuring her regard which she had assured herself of his feeling in derbyshire could not in rational expectation survive such a blow as this she was humbled she was grieved she repented though she hardly knew of what she became jealous of his esteem when she could no longer hope to be benefited by it "'She wanted to hear of him "'when there seemed the least chance of gaining intelligence. "'She was convinced that she could have been happy with him "'when it was no longer likely they should meet. "'What a triumph for him, as she often thought, "'could he know that the proposals "'which she had proudly spurned only four months ago "'would now have been most gladly and gratefully received. "'He was as generous, she doubted not, "'as the most generous of his sex. "'But while he was mortal, there must be a triumph.' "'She began now to comprehend that he was exactly the man "'who, in disposition of talents, would most suit her. "'His understanding and temper, though unlike her own, "'would have answered all her wishes. "'It was a union that must have been to the advantage of both. "'By her ease and liveliness, his his mind might have been softened, "'his manners improved, and from his judgment, "'information, and knowledge of the world, "'she must have received benefit of greater importance.' But no such happy marriage could now teach the admiring multitude what connubial felicity really was. A union of a different tendency and precluding the possibility of the other was soon to be formed in their family. How Wickham and Lydia were to be supported in tolerable independence, she could not imagine. But how little of permanent happiness could belong to a couple who were only brought together because their passions were stronger than their virtue, she could easily conjecture mr gardiner soon wrote again to his brother to mr bennett's acknowledgments he briefly replied with assurance of his eagerness to promote the welfare of any of his family and concluded with entreaties that the subject might never be mentioned to him again the principal purport of his letter was to inform them that mr wickham had resolved on quitting the militia "'It was greatly my wish that he should do so,' he added, "'as soon as his marriage was fixed on. "'And I think you will agree with me "'in considering the removal from that corps "'as highly advisable, both on his account and my niece's. "'It is Mr. Wickham's intention to go into the regulars, "'and among his former friends, "'there are still some who are able and willing "'to assist him in the army. "'He has the promise of an insignancy in general. "'And general's regiment now quartered in the north.' It is an advantage to have it so far from this part of the kingdom. He promises fairly, and I hope among different people, where they may each have a character to preserve, they will both be more prudent. I have written to Colonel Forrester to inform him of our present arrangements, and to request that he will satisfy the various creditors of Mr. Wickham in and near Brighton with assurances of speedy payment, for which I have pledged myself, and you will give yourself the trouble of carrying similar assurances to his creditors in Meryton, of whom I shall subjoin a list according to his information.' He has given in all his debts. He has given in all his debts. I hope at least he has not deceived us. Hagerston has our directions, and all will be completed in a week. They will then join his regiment, unless they are first invited to Longbourn, and I understand from Mrs. Gardner that my niece is very desirous of seeing you all before she leaves the South. She is well, and begs to be dutifully remembered to you and your mother, yours, etc., E. Gardner." Mr. Bennett and his daughter saw all the advantages of Wickham's removal from the shire as clearly as Mr. Gardner could do. But Mrs. Bennett was not so well pleased with it. Lydia's being settled in the north, just when she had expected most pleasure and pride in her company, for she had by no means given up her plan of their residing in Hertfordshire, was a severe disappointment. And besides, it was such a pity that Lydia should be taken from a regiment where she was acquainted with everybody and had so many favorites. She is so fond of Mrs. Forrester said she it will be quite shocking to send her away and there are several of these young men too that she likes very much the officers may not be so pleasant in general the officers might not be so pleasant in general's regiment. His daughter's request for such it might be considered of being admitted into her family again before she set off for the north received at first an absolute negative. But Jane and Elizabeth, who agreed in wishing for the sake of their sister's feelings and consequence that she should be noticed on her marriage by her parents, urged him so earnestly, yet so rationally and so mildly to receive her and her husband at Longbourn as soon as they were married that he was prevailed on to think as they thought and act as they wished. As their mother had the satisfaction of knowing that she would be able to show her married daughter in the neighborhood before she was banished to the north. When Mr. Bennett wrote again to his brother, therefore he sent his permission for them to come, and it was settled that as soon as the ceremony was over, they should proceed to Longbourn. Elizabeth was surprised, however, that Wickham should consent to such a scheme, and had she consulted her own inclination, any meeting with him would have been the last object of her wishes.' And that'll do it for Chapter 50. And for this episode of Carla Reads the Classics, thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.